It's 835. Jeff Wagner, glad to have you with us. We do not go gently into the good weekend on this program. A lot of ground to cover between now and 12 noon. Let's get to it. We start off this show like we start off every show. Three big things. Story number one from Milwaukee County. There is a new sheriff. Um, while Governor Walker considers who he is going to appoint to the position, uh, David Clark's number two, a guy named Richard Schmidt, who is a career law enforcement person, who is David Clark's number two, he has taken over as the acting sheriff. I think it would be fair to say that uh, Richard Schmidt, while very, very loyal to David Clark, um, is, from a personality perspective, pretty much exactly the opposite of, of Clark. And I think if there is one thing that would kind of define how he intends to run the office for as long as he runs the office, that would be no drama. And, and my guess is he's not going to end up being the permanent sheriff. Walker may appoint him, although I, I don't think that would be the way to go. But regardless, I, I don't think he's going to be the, the sheriff moving forward. So he's really kind of in a caretaker position, which is what you expect from career professionals. In any event, one of the things that they have been doing, the sheriff's department has been doing, and when it comes to law enforcement, the Milwaukee County Sheriff really, it is a more, it is a much more limited role than, say, the Milwaukee Police Department. One of the top priorities for the Sheriff's Department is, of course, patrolling the parks and also patrolling the, the freeways. And if you have driven on Milwaukee County freeways any time in the last 25 years, you know that there's a lot of bad drivers out there. So here's what Schmidt says. He had a press conference late yesterday afternoon. He said that um, since September 6th, so for about the last week or so, his deputies have been conducting what they call random high-saturation patrols through Milwaukee County. He says it, it's not a 24-7 operation, but what they do is for a couple hours each day, they go out at various areas of the county and they target speeders. He said that they're waiting for aggressive, reckless drivers and tailgaters. Now, the way the, the sheriff says this operates, the active sheriff says it operates, said we're, we're not hiding behind billboards or anything like that. We get a group of officers. We get them together in marked squad cars with light bars on them so people can see them. And then when people drive by driving recklessly, we go after them. So this has been going on for about the last seven days or so. Here, here are some of the statistics that he gave out. In, and these aren't 27 operations, 24 hours a day, seven-day operations. These are just a couple hours a day. Um, he said since this has been going on for the last seven days, they have made 216 traffic stops. They have issued 246 citations. And of the 246 citations that they have issued, 169 have been speed-related. So you know, the vast majority, they're, they're not out there. They're not pulling people over for having a taillight out. I mean, they're, they're going after speeders. Okay, so here's, again, the, the interesting thing. So of the, they make 169, let's round up to 170 speed-related stops. Um, of those, 98 involve people speeding 16 to 19 hours, 19 miles per hour over the speed limit. So 16 to 19 hour, um, miles per hour. So if the speed limit is you know, 55, you know, they're not pulling people over until they're going at, at least you know, 71. 48 citations for people who were driving 20 to 24 miles over the speed limit. 
nine citations for people driving 25 to 30 miles per hour over the speed limit, 31 to 35 miles per hour, two citations, and three citations were issued to people driving between 36 and 40 miles an hour over the limit. So three people they caught, let's assume the speed limit was 55, they caught them going at least 91, and they issued three citations. Um, All right, just for Thursday, September 14th, um, let's see, in coordination with the Wisconsin State Patrol, um, let's see, they cited 16 people for going at least... 16 miles per hour over the limit, nine people for going 20 to 24 miles an hour over the limit. So they're out there, and they are pulling people over right and left, mostly for speeding and for speeding excessively. If you get stopped for speeding in a construction zone, you get a ticket between $400 and $600. If you get cited for speeding 30-plus miles per hour over the limit, you get $600 ticket plus six points. And the sheriff says, look, I, I, I want people to understand, I – I am not out here, you know, necessarily trying to raise money. We're out here trying to stop, um, you know, excessive speeders. And, you know, if if it also happens to generate money, well, fine, it's going to generate money and that's going to be great. But we're really out there trying to crack down on what is excessive driving. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let us be honest. There is clearly a revenue component, I think, to what they are doing. You know, they catch the people. They get the fines. It, it generates, I mean, revenue that clearly that they can use. At the same time, though, um, as somebody who drives regularly on the freeways around here, I am constantly amazed at how irresponsible people drive. And again, I'm not talking about pulling somebody over who's going 61 in a 55-mile-an-hour zone. But they're, by and large, they're pulling people over who are going at, at least 16 miles an hour over the limit and many times 20 and 25 miles an hour over the limit. I am thrilled that the sheriff's department is doing something like th- about this. I think from a matter of public safety, it's about time to crack down on this. And this isn't, to me, a speed trap type of thing like some communities in our listening area where you've got the officers that, that hide behind signs or the officers that, you know, sit up where it goes from 55 to 35 and they pull you over because you haven't slowed down fast enough Um this isn't like they're pulling people over for going three and four miles out an hour over the limit like they do in some communities around here. They're targeting people who are driving in an incredibly reckless fashion. And I say, you go, guys. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Jeff on the south side. Jeff, good morning. Hey, good morning, Jeff. What do you think? Hey, I'm a commercial driver. I drive daily on uh, Milwaukee County Road. Actually, I'm on the road as we speak. And uh, this is long overdue. I applaud this guy completely. Uh, um, and like you said earlier, he's not. This isn't ticky tack targeting, you know, minor infractions. This is this is targeting the reckless, excessive speeders who. Right, uh, right, right. There, are, there are communities. What's the one? Um, what's the one out by Ripon? You know, Rosendale, where they, they they try to pull people over who are going three miles an hour over the limit. You know, that's clearly a revenue generating thing. Here, you know. If, if the vast majority of people that they are pulling over are people who are going way, way, way over the limit, and I'm sorry, if you're gonna if you're gonna make the decision to drive 75 in a 55 mile an hour zone, I've got no sympathy when you get pulled over. That's the risk that you take. 
And, you know, this is one of the primary uh, responsibilities of the Milwaukee County Sheriff's, and it, it's great to see their presence back on the road again. No, th- thanks for calling. I agree with you 100%. Linda in Wauwatosa. Linda, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. I have to say, hallelujah. This is long overdue. I get so annoyed in work zones when people are flying through at 20-plus miles yep. over the speed limit. There's all the signs that they find double in a work zone. And I'm like, yeah, but you never, ever, ever see a a sheriff pulling anybody over in a work zone. Mm -hmm. And I think they should go one step farther and put up cameras and get all of these speeders. You know, like you say, let people go zero to ten miles over the speed line. That's not reckless. But once you start going 15, 20, 30, and 40 miles per hour over the speed limit, that is reckless. And these people deserve tickets i was um two days ago I, I was coming i was coming through the market interchange i'm going north on 43 and you know everybody's merging in these different ways i look in my rear view mirror and, and I, i'm probably going 50 or 55 i swear there was a car going 80 miles an hour coming up on me and you, you're you're almost like paralyzed because you see this car driving like a bat out of you know where and then it swerves in the left lane it goes past me it swerves across two other lanes to get around cars and i admit i'm looking around saying where where are the police pull this guy over because he's going to and it was a heat you know he's going to cr- cause an accident somewhere down the road and and if he ends up having to pay a huge fine i'm sorry don't drive in a reckless fashion Exactly, exactly. I wish they would do this on a daily basis all year round. Let people know that if they speed excessively, there are consequences. Well, right, exactly. Thanks for calling. And, you know, again, use use judgment. And it's certainly, based on the statistics that they came out with, it certainly strikes me that that's what the acting sheriff is doing. First of all, he says, look, we're not hiding. We're out there. We've got the marked cars. We've got a line of squad cars. Well, okay, I, I'm sorry. If you're driving up and you see a line of squad cars that are there and, and you just still decide that you're going to blow by them 15 or 20 miles an hour over the speed limit, that is what we used to call when I was a prosecutor felony dumb. You deserve to be pulled over. Interestingly, when I was coming back from downtown, I think it was that day. It wasn't yesterday, I don't think. I, I saw they've got the signs up on the traffic boards, you know, where they tell you about whether there's congestion or not. They had um, the sign said, don't be a camper in the left lane. It was something like that, It was which I agree with, too. It's like, like left lane for passing, right lane for driving. 414-799-1620. I applaud th- this this initiative. And, and if it happens to have the effect of raising money in addition, well, okay, that, that that's fine. But this is not making Milwaukee County a speed trap. This is making Milwaukee County safer. Let's talk to Dave in Greenfield. Dave, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Yeah, that site is camp in the left lane, or camp in the woods, not in the left lane. Right. Yeah, I thought, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's all over the state. Uh, hey, I travel quite a bit for my job, and, and I applaud this initiative. I would like to see if we could somehow get a joint task force with the city and crack down on, I see it's more unsafe on the city streets where people are going oh, yeah. 40 miles an hour. Yeah, you know, or or, or blow right blowing stop signs. Oh, absolutely. I mean, yep. no, you're no. Uh, thanks to call. No, you're abs- You make a you make a great point. Of course, and that t- dovetails into this larger conversation we've been having over time about the 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 chase policy that 
the previous chase policy that Ed Flynn had into in effect, which prevented his officers from chasing people who were driving recklessly. And so, I mean, I, there's no question in my mind that led to people driving 70, 80 miles an hour, blowing through stop signs, waving at the cops as they go by because they know the cops weren't allowed to chase them. The way I understand this new policy, at least, um, the police, if they see people who are driving in a reckless fashion, you blow through that light going 40 miles an hour over the speed limit, you can now chase. That is my, you know, that is my understanding of this. Let's talk to Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. I am all for the Kojaks with the Kodaks coming out in full force. <laughs> Kojaks with Kodaks. Got it. <laughs> yeah, because I, when I was on my way to Appleton last Friday, I noticed that it was a lot easier to drive that than it usually is. And the reason why I'm pretty sure is because I saw five police officers between uh, here and West Bend alone. Yeah, and, and it, it makes you it, no, it, it makes you think. No, th- thanks. I mean, it, it just makes you think. Okay, I, I travel out to West Bend a lot nowadays, and um, because it's where my fiance lives, and I, uh, I, I mean, I, you know, they're, they're right. They're, there's all sort. There's always a police presence, and you know, I, I'm very, very mindful of of the speeds and where the speed changes and things like that. And, and candidly, I've never been pulled over, but I, I am. I pay attention to this. And, you know, you know that you're not supposed to speed in those areas. Having a police presence creates a deterrent. Donna in Heartland says, I'm happy with the sheriff's decision to stop the speeders. I was driving westbound on 94 in the right lane just west of 84th Street, and my speed was 53 in a 50-mile-an-hour zone. Everyone was speeding past me in the left lane. You go, sheriff. Now, again, to me, um, it's it's a matter of degree. If she's driving 53 and people are passing her for at 56 in a 50-mile-an-hour zone, I would say, all right, what's the big deal? On the other hand, if people are passing her at 75 in the 50-mile-an-hour zone, that's where I think that you end up getting involved. In, in any event, there is a revenue component to this. I can see that. But driving is so out of control around here that if you have these saturation patrols that are cracking down, you know, I say go for it. We've got a couple of people that are making the point that, well, you know, many of the people that are driving are, are uninsured and they're, you know, they're, or they don't have driver's licenses. Well, okay, if, if you pull over people who are driving on revoked licenses or don't have driver's licenses or also driving 80 miles an hour, um, you know, maybe that, that's that's an excuse to do other things to them simply because, gee, somebody's driving without a driver's license anyway and might not pay the fine. That's not an excuse, at least in my opinion, to simply say, well, go ahead and just go on and drive. I want those people stopped. It's 849. This is Jeff Wagner. <laughs> It's 852, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, this is very, very cool. We are going to let you experience Wisconsin's finest supper clubs at half price. This week, our featured supper club is Katarina's Restaurante in Milwaukee. It is a great place. It has been family-owned for over 30 years. Katarina's features original Italian recipes made fresh to order and includes entrees from pasta to seafood, veal to steak. Their desserts are out of this world. Today, today at noon, you can get a $50 certificate for only $25. It is like stealing. These will go quickly. We only have 50 available. Get yours today starting at noon. First come, first serve. You do it by going to our website, um, and then you'll see the WTMJ Supper Club thing, or you can just go to with WTMJSupperClub.com. But um, we only have 50 of these. You can get $50 gift certificates or certificates for $25. What a great deal. What a great deal. 
Big story number two. While you were sleeping, there was another terrorist attack in London. I, I say another because this is the fifth terrorist attack in London this year. What happened is apparently, um, if, if you'll see pictures of this, somebody made what they are calling an, an IED, an improvised um, explosive device. It was in it was in a bucket, and what happened is it exploded on a crowded London underground train, like the, the equivalent of their subway. There, it happened at about eight twenty in the morning. So you're talking about, again, sort of the height of rush hour. It was an improvised explosive device. Apparently, it did not function as it was intended to function, but it did go off, and it put out a a fireball. At least 22 people went to hospitals. Um, Several of them were injured as panic commuters fled. Thankfully, nobody was killed in this, but, um, you know, here you have a, a packed train, and somebody... You know, ends up setting up this, trying to set off this bomb. Um, Passengers describe seeing a wall of fire. Again, some people injured because of burns, other people injured because people are trying to flee. But yet another terrorist attack. So, again, the question now becomes, what can be done to stop this? And I understand that there is this general frustration, because if we live in a free society, we are... We're always going to be vulnerable to these type of things. I mean, as, as a practical matter, you can't go out to picture your favorite shopping mall, you know, in, in our area. And you, you can't – there's so many entrances. There's so many exits. You can't really block off all the entrances and exits. You can't have metal detectors. You can't have um, – imagine, you know, two Saturdays before Christmas if you try to restrict the access to a shopping mall and, and set up all these different checkpoints. There's limits on what you can do, and we're always in a free society going to be at risk of this. Here is one thing I do think we need to take a, a look at. It's one thing that we have forgotten since September 11th, and we did our September 11th Remembrance Show earlier earlier this week. I, I think civil liberties continue to be important. There's no question about it. And individual citizens have rights under the Constitution. At the same time, when it comes to authorities being able to pursue, identify, and thwart terrorist attacks, I need I think there needs to be some latitude. I don't think we can view terrorism in the same way we view oh the white collar crook who might the teller who might be trying to steal some money from you know her employer and i'm not minimizing that at all but when it comes to identifying terrorists i'm sorry i'm not going to be too terribly sympathetic if we for example loosen up the rules that allow authorities to monitor phone conversations i'm not at all because what we need to do, number one, is make sure the populace is safe. And when it comes to investigating terrorism and attempting to thwart terrorist attacks, I think most people would say, well, you know, we love you, ACLU, but at the same time, when it comes to trying to stop people from setting off bombs in subways, we want to give the authorities all the leeway they can get in trying to identify and then prosecute or stop in the first place people from doing this. It is 8.58. When we come back, we've got big thing number three. The state Senate debates the budget. They're one vote short. There are four conservatives 
who right now say they're going to vote no. Really, guys? Really? It's 858. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 910. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, I admit I am aggravated by this. And I don't take any pleasure in criticizing people that I like in general and, and rarely, and, and at least in general, agree with principles. But you know what? There are four Republican senators, conservative Republican senators in the state Senate, who need to get their heads out of a certain part of their anatomy and stop being ideologues and move on. Now, here's the deal. The state budget, and we have talked about this before, the state budget was supposed to be due July 1st. Having delays in the state budget is not unusual because many times you've got a Democrat who's the governor and you've got Republicans who are in the Senate or the Assembly and there is an ideological difference or vice versa. In Wisconsin, you have a governor who is a Republican. You have overwhelming majorities in the state assembly and the state senate. This is something that should have been a no-brainer, but unfortunately it has dragged out. The state budget is now two and a half months overdue. The state budget, by the way, is a 75 B as in billion dollar document. Right? And and so you're talking about lots and lots of things that go into this. It has been an embarrassment that has taken this long. You heard one of the Democrats during our newscast, uh, John Erpenbach, talking about, oh, this shows just how dysfunctional and how out of touch the Republicans are. They can't even get their act together. That shows how bad the budget is. Okay, that might be a cheap shot, but I understand why he's taking it, because he's got a point that when you have Republicans that control the legislature and the executive branch, to not be able to get your act together and get a deal done, now we're sitting here and, you know, you're, you're pushing October. It, it's, it is flat out I- embarrassing. In any event, um, the big hang up for the longest time was the, trans- the transportation budget. And I have been someone who was very critical of some of the leadership in the assembly for, I, I think, taking unrealistic positions with regard to wanting to increase taxes, which to me were a non-starter. They've worked through the transportation problems, and and I give everybody credit. What happened is you had the Assembly, and in the Assembly, there's 60-some-odd Republicans. You've got 60-some-odd Republicans, and trying to get them all together and agree on things is, once again, it's kind of like herding cats. It is a challenge. But they got together. You had the Joint Finance Committee, which is composed of Assembly Republicans and Senate Republicans and a handful of Democrats, and they got together and they worked out an agreement. Now, no document. When you're talking about a $75 billion budget, nothing is going to be perfect. It doesn't have everybody's wish list in it. But politics is the art of compromise. And when I say compromise, I don't mean selling out your principles. I mean recognizing that we don't have a king, that you are in the Senate, you are one of 33 senators, or in the Assembly, you're one of 99 uh, members of the Assembly. And if you just decide that unless it's perfect, unless I get everything I want, I'm not going to vote for it, well, you end up never getting anything done. You end up becoming, uh, again, the, the, the John McCain who just says no, 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 and you don't get stuff accomplished. So you have a budget document which passes the Assembly. So now it's getting ready to go to the governor's desk, but before that it has to go to the state Senate. You have four very conservative members of the state Senate. Let us name names. Dewey Strobel from Sockville, 
um, Chris Kapenga, David Craig from the town of Vernon, and Steve Nass from Whitewater. And I've known a lot of these guys for years. And they have all decided, at least as of now, now I understand uh, the MacGyver Institute is reporting that at least two of them um, we're talking to the governor last night, and the governor obviously wants to get this done. He said he's not going to announce his re-election campaign till after the budget gets done, and we're still jerking around with the budget. So at least two of them were talking to the governor last night, and I'm sure the governor is saying, for the love of God, let's get past this. But you have these four conservative senators who have dug their feet in hills in the sand and have decided, okay, we're at least at this point in time, we're, we're not going to vote for it because it doesn't have everything that we want in it. There's 20 Republicans. You need 17 to pass. They've got 16 votes. So this budget is acceptable to 16 of the Republicans, and I'm sure they would all tell you, all the 16 that are going to vote for it in the Senate, would tell you that it's not perfect. I know my dear friend Alberta Darling, who is going to vote for this, I know that there's issues that she doesn't like about it, including like the delay of the construction between the market interchange and the zoo freeway. But people like Alberta, who are pragmatic and want to get stuff done, aren't saying, well, I don't like this particular provision, so I'm not going to vote for the whole budget. So... The issues that these four conservatives have, and and again, if you look at the individual issues, I understand what they're saying. I mean, for example, I'm looking at one of the stories. Kapenga, Nass, and Strobel um, want want to have a referendum before local governments can impose wheel taxes. Okay, I, I don't necessarily disagree with that, but that is controversial. That's a whole local control type of thing. Does that have to be in the budget? You're seriously going to vote no on the budget because of that? Um, they want to allow local governments to continue to regulate quarries. Okay, I, again, I, I don't really have a position on that one way or the other, but you're going to hold up the budget because of that? They want to speed up the repeal of the state's prevailing wage law. Okay, here's th- this, is, this is one that just makes your head explode. Um, prevailing wage... Has, which, of course, and we've talked about this before, prevailing wage is the provision that says if you've got a government contract, you have to pay what they determine to be the prevailing wage in a particular area to the workers. So this results in contractors being hired, and if you hire the contractor to do your driveway, you might pay $20 an hour. But because they work for the government, they get to pay $45 an hour. It, it, it doesn't make any sense. It's been on the books since the 1930s. Finally, finally, in this budget, they repeal prevailing wage. So what are these guys upset about? That there's a phase-in period. Prevailing wage doesn't go away till September as opposed to January. Well, okay, I understand. I'd agree with getting rid of it in January. That's a better option. But for God's sake, I mean, that is a controversial thing. And some people say, all right, let, let's just let it phase in, but they're going to, again, dig their heels in the sand on this foolishness. Here, here is the reality of this. And I, I mean, I think Scott Fitzgerald, the leader in the Senate, is doing the right thing. I think by bringing this matter to a vote, that is absolutely correct. Let's put these guys on the line. And again, I don't in necessarily disagree with their individual positions. It, Robin Voss, I think, is right on this one. Mark the tape. He says, look, if they want to take these things up, pass these things as standalone bills. You know, if, if you want to talk about, like, limiting wheel taxes, all right, introduce it. We'll, we'll take it up as an individual matter. But right now, you know, if, if you do this, if you kill this, well, then what's going to happen is there, there's no chance that the Assembly can even revisit this for another month. You're going to go another month without the budget. And what Voss is saying is, hey, I, my members, there's everything I could do to get them to vote for this because 
They disagree with these things. And by the way, some of the things that this handful, this little cabal of Republicans want, um, a lot of other Republicans don't agree with them on at least some of the issues. Bottom line here is politics is the art of the possible. And candidly, if you're going to elect people who are going to be ideologues, you know, I, I've look, I, I've worked for decades advocating conservative positions. And I, I think it's great that we're electing conservatives. But at the same time, you want people who are pragmatic and who can get things done. And if you're going to have one or two or three people that just decide that their weird view of whatever their principle is, I, I can't vote on this in principle because the prevailing wage law doesn't go away till September instead of January. So you're going to kill a $75 billion budget that has lots and lots of good things in it because you didn't get your pet peeve. That tells me that you are not serious about being an elected official. And that tells me, conservative or not, when the next election comes up, if somebody runs against you in a primary, you deserve to be beaten. That is just the way I see it, because you've got to get stuff done. This is the kind of crap, pardon my French, that I think people cause people to be so upset with politics. The idea that, okay, we're going to dig in our heels on whatever our own little special issue is. And unless we get our way on this particular thing, we're going to take our ball and go home. You would have expected more from Republicans. And again, I don't, I mean, I think Scott Fitzgerald is absolutely right. This is it. The assembly says this is there's not going to be any more changes in it. The governor, of course, has the ability to alter the budget with his veto power and things like that. But I have been saying for months it is time to move on. And it is embarrassing to me that you have four conservative state senators from our area, from our area, who have decided that they're going to let their own little pet projects block this. This is big story number one. At the end of the day, I think they're going to get the votes to pass this. You know, maybe it's going to be because of the governor's intervention yesterday. But I will tell you, if this thing gets shot down and we go for another month without a budget, and by the way, there's already people who are being impacted this to this because there, there's not additional funding for schools. So, I mean, already, while the state continues to operate, it operates at last year's levels. So there's already a lot of good stuff in this budget and a lot of things that have been funded that will at least be funded when the budget's passed that isn't happening now because of these delays. The delays have been appalling. It is not a perfect document, but for the love of God, you got sent to Madison to get stuff done, not to go off on your own particular little ideological tangent. So for the four senators who are at least on the fence, Chris Kapenga of Delafield, um, Dewey Strobel of Sockville, David Craig from the town of Vernon and Steve Nass from Whitewater. All right, maybe you got to hold your nose because it doesn't have your pet provision in it. But for goodness sakes, by not voting for this, you are aligning yourself with the left. You are setting yourself up against the state of Wisconsin because it's a pretty good budget and against the governor. Get on board. Vote yes. Let's get this thing behind us and let us move on. It's 921. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We will continue to monitor this. The state Senate takes it up today. Hopefully one or two or all four of these people will come to the real world, come to their senses and do what they should do, which is vote for this budget. It's 921. 
925, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. If Milwaukee plans to compete with larger cities for major events and conventions, experts say as many as 1,000 more hotel rooms will have to be added to the area. Is this possible? And at what cost to taxpayers? Cafeti and Billstad explore today at 1235. So BDU is producing the program today. Am I too hard on my Republican friends, the four that are hanging out? You're saying no. Of course I'm not. No. And I, I, and I know several of these guys. I like them. It, that's, that's it. But it's kind of like... God save us from ideologues. I, I mean, you know, there, there's one per anybody who's ever been on boards or, you know, you, you go there to try to get stuff done and you recognize that, all right, all, because we all disagree, and we all have our own little pet peeves, nothing is going to be perfect. So you sit there day after day after day, you finally hammer out something that ends up being a compromise. And I'm not talking about compromise and the fact that you have to s- sacrifice your principles. I'm talking about compromise in that, gee, you've got people, you know, I've got 60 people here who want one thing. I've got 15 people here who want, you know, a variation of that. A- at some point in time, you have to Come together to get stuff done. And if you're just going to be the no, 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 no type of guy, then you don't belong. You don't belong in politics. You know, we want people with principles, but you also want people who can get stuff done. And this is going to be a real interesting test today as to whether four state senators, predominantly from my area, our area, are willing to say, look, we, we've got to get on with this. The budget is not a perfect document, but for God's sake, we'll get it done. No, I'm not being too hard on them. I'm, I'm just not. Hey, let me let me give another shout-out, too. Um, the, the Foxconn legislation went to is going to the governor. He's going to sign it, I think, Monday or, or Tuesday. And one of the things that I have been very critical of is the fact that no Milwaukee area, very, very few Milwaukee area Democrats supported the, the legislation. Um, in, in the state Senate, none of the Democrats from Milwaukee voted for this. That is an embarrassment because you have Democrats in the state Senate in Milwaukee from Milwaukee, who represent some of the most economically disadvantaged areas. You would have thought they would have been saying, hey, you know, this is the greatest thing in the world. This is the greatest thing since canned beer, because what we want to do is we want to, this is an opportunity for our constituents who badly need jobs. You're going to be creating five or 10 or 13,000 jobs, whatever it is, within 20 miles. This would be great. But because Governor Walker was pushing it, you had various state senators who voted no. You had the same thing largely playing out in the state assembly, where only four Democrats voted for it, two from Kenosha, one from Racine, and credit where credit is due. One Democrat assembly person from Milwaukee, Jason Fields, ended up voting for this. He decided to buck his party leadership because credit where credit is due, Fields recognized that his district needs jobs. This can help his constituents, so he was willing to put... um, principal and his constituents ahead of party and vote for it and he deserves credit for this just saying it's 928 this is jeff wagner It's 9.35, Jeff Wagner, 6.20, WTMJ. Time and time again, Wisconsinites have shown remarkable generosity for their fellow Americans when disaster strikes. You did it two weeks ago for Texans impacted by Harvey, and now those in Florida need our help as well. WTMJ is partnering with the Red Cross to provide assistance to those affected. You can text the word IRMA, I-R-M-A, to 90999. 90999 to donate $10 and help the Red Cross aid victims of the hurricane in Florida 
and throughout the Gulf Coast. Hey, if you follow me on Twitter, you know you got a head jump, head start on this. I'm a couple of weeks now. I'm up on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner six twenty. Coming up in about an hour or so, um, Livia Munn, who is the ex girlfriend of Aaron Rodgers, she um, well, she appears to be the ex girlfriend from you know where, and she's been she's trolling <laughs> trolling Rodgers. It's really kind of this bizarre story, but. Um, we're gonna we're gonna be talking about that and um, raising it to the larger issue. My guess is everybody's got male or female. You've got an Olivia Munn in your past. We're gonna have a fun conversation. If you want to see the story and stuff, get head start on it. You can follow me on Twitter again. It's at Jeff Wagner six twenty. Um, Olivia Munn, the ex girlfriend from you know where. Um, that's coming up at ten thirty five. All right, Motel Six. What is most Motel Six most famous for? Its motto: We'll leave the light on. Right. It has been a long time since I have stayed in a Motel Six. Motel Six, by its nature, is a um, um, it, it's it's a cheap place to stay. I mean, that's where the six originally came from. You know, it was like six bucks. Now, it hasn't been that for a long time, but that's that's been the idea of Motel Six. All right, now, in many many cases, responsible hotel owners will call the police if they believe something illegal is going on at their place. Now, I understand that in some areas of cities in, the, in certain parts of the country, there are motel operators who kind of look the other way. Yeah, we know that prostitutes are using the place, but, you know, they pay us money, so we're going to look the other way. But in general, I, I think we would like to see responsible motel owners contact the police if they think something illegal is going on you know i don't know for sure but there are these guys that pulled in and it certainly looks like it's a drug deal and we're concerned that they're dealing drugs out of the room if you've got people who are drug dealers for example staying at your hotel you would i don't know about you but i would like the the motel the people behind the desk i would like them to call the police and say look we don't know but this is this is really irregular or you know we we think these people might have guns whatever you know if there if there's a crime being committed i would like the motel operators to express their concerns with the police and allow the police to then you know conduct their investigation we were talking earlier about you know this this latest terrorist attack in london and one of the things that we tell people nowadays is see something say something and i understand because of political correctness some people are uncomfortable about that boy this was just really irregular um i don't see anybody coming in and out of this house i don't know who lives in this house but there, there's a group of people a group of guys that get together at two o'clock in the morning and they're there from two to three thirty in the morning and then that that's it we never see them again and it just looks suspicious well all right maybe it's just group of guys who are working second shift and they get off and they go and they hang out in the garage and have a couple beers because uh, bar closing time stops them from being able to drink. Maybe that's what it is. But you know what? It could be something else. So, I mean, I would want the neighbors to call the police and just say, look, I, this looks suspicious. You might want to investigate. All right. So what's going on with Motel 6? Well, apparently at a series of Motel 6s in Phoenix where they have a huge problem with illegal immigration. I remember a couple years back, we have a we have a, a sister station that's um, in, in Arizona. Um, and I remember that the guy that was doing the show there, he was sick. 
And so I, I did a couple fill-ins for the Arizona show, and I did it from here. You know, we put it up on satellite and stuff. And it was amazing doing a talk show um, with people from Arizona, right around the border, because the, the way they view illegal immigration is much different than the way we view illegal immigration here in southeastern Wisconsin, because when, when you actually live on the border, it's a much different story. And you'd hear people, you know, that would talk about, you know, again, the drug dealing and the cartels and the things like that. They had a, a much different perspective than we have here in, in Wisconsin. But in any event, it's a huge issue in Arizona. So what's been happening is apparently Motel 6 employees in Phoenix have been, and I hope you're sitting down for this, they have been cooperating with immigration and customs enforcement. So what they have been doing is that they have apparently been tipping off immigration agents to the fact that people who were staying in their hotels might have been in the United States illegally. Now, I I don't know what the criteria was for this, but they've been, you know, they apparently they would cooperate with immigration. And so, I mean, here was the report um, in the last, let's see, let's see, in weekly Phoenix News Times reported Wednesday that immigration had arrested at least 20 people at two Motel 6 locations in heavily Hispanic areas of Phoenix. And they quoted workers as saying that they gave guest lists to the agents. So um, immigration refused to cooperate. But in any event, this was a cooperative effort. Apparently, the, the people that were working at these hotels decided, we're going to cooperate with the immigration officials. And they found that there were a lot of people who were staying in these budget hotels that were, in fact, in the country illegally, and they were apprehended. Well, there is this huge outrage. And by the way, there's nothing, there's nothing legally that prevents the hotel from cooperating with immigration. Now, they don't have to. I mean, immigration could get a warrant and say, okay, we want to see your guest list. They, they could do that. But there is nothing that volunt- that stops the hotel from voluntarily saying, hey, here's our guest list. You might want to check this out. So apparently they had been doing that. That has now become public. And, oh, my gosh, the firestorm about Motel 6. How dare you rat out the illegal aliens who are staying as guests at your hotel? So now the national chain of Motel 6s, they, they're apologizing for this, and they're saying, we've told them, we're not going to cooperate with immigration anymore. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'm sorry, but I take exactly the opposite position. Just like I want desk clerks or hotel operators calling the cops if they think there's a drug deal that is going down in their hotel, or they think there is a weapons deal, or they think that there is some other form of criminal activity going on in their hotel, I don't see anything wrong at all with the hotel clerks sharing guest information with with the local police or with Im- with immigration. And if immigration determines that, hey, there's a bunch of people who are staying at this Motel 6 who are in the country illegally, good, apprehend them. It is still against the law to be here. Why are we pussyfooting around this? Why would we discourage responsible business owners from cooperating with immigration? 
All right, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Motel 6 is getting all sorts of criticism because, uh, again, they've decided that, at least in Phoenix, they were cooperating with immigration. Now the national, uh, the, the owners, the, the management, senior management Motel 6 says, well, we're not going to let this happen anymore. Why not? 414-799-1620. We discuss next. It's 944. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 947. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. WTMJ lets you experience Wisconsin's finest supper clubs at half price. This week, our featured supper club is Katarina's Restaurante in Milwaukee. It's been family-owned for over 30 years. It features original Italian recipes made fresh to order, and it includes entrees from pasta to seafood, veal to steak. By the way, the desserts are great. Today at noon, that is in just a little over two hours, you can get a $50 certificate for only $25. It's like stealing, but it's legal. These will go quickly. We only have 50 that are available. Get yours today starting at noon. You go to our website, uh, WTMJ.com. You click on the Supper Club feature, or you can go directly to WTMJSupperClub.com. All right, Motel 6 in Phoenix is getting criticized because apparently the people that work in the hotel have been, heaven forbid, cooperating with immigration officials and sharing voluntarily their guest lists. And immigration's been arresting a whole bunch of people who are in this country illegally. Now Motel 6 Nationwide is criticizing them, saying, we're going to stop this. We're going to stop this. I don't think they need to apologize. Tom in Tucson, Arizona. Tom, you're first. Good morning. Hey, good morning. Um, so you were on the you were on the Tucson radio. Were you on in the morning or in the afternoon? I was in please? for John Justice a couple of years ago. Ah, he was there sick. you go. Yeah. yeah, he's now in Minnesota. Right. Yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, James uh, James in the afternoon talks about this stuff all the time because he had been from Milwaukee. Right. And uh, you know, it's, it really is different because if you're if you're 48 minutes away from the southern border and you see the actual effects of what of what goes on uh you know illegal is illegal and you can you can spin the words any way you want to but if illegal activity happens you, right. uh, you know what do you do you have to hey are you gonna approve of illegal activity look what happened in london right now they're like oh by the way we had a bomb go off well, we have bombs going off all the time down there, and they're not man-made bombs, but there's, elite, there's theft, there's, there's all sorts of identity crimes, you name it. Well, right. So, 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 so Tom, okay. So, so living living in Tucson, right? Essentially, right, right on on the border. When you hear that the hotel operators were heaven forbid cooperating with immigration, and obviously there were a lot of people who were illegally in this country staying there, you're not offended. You kind of say, "Right on, you go, guys." Right? I wish I wish every hotel and uh, hotel would be of that of that nature. You know, I mean, it's and it's not. It's not the poor migrant travelers that sometimes are the problems. It's the rich people that lead the way to bring them here that are that have the the large amounts of cash that right. don't need to stay in the budget motels that are really worse of the problem. I mean, if Phoenix was the number two country, or the number one country in the number one city in our country for um, kidnapping. Mm-hmm. Due yeah. to illegal immigration, because they would kidnap these people and hold them for ransom so that their families in other countries would send them more money. Yeah, I mean, Tom, th- thanks for the call, and I appreciate you listening to us all the way from Tucson, Arizona. And that's, but right, and it is, again, it, it's an abstract type of thing here. It, it more, 
in, in general, and I, and I understand, like here when we have the conversation about illegal immigration, it's well, okay, you've got you've got people who might be undocumented, and they're you know they're working in the dairy industry, and people can't find people to replace those jobs. All, all right. It's different on the border, like you say exactly, and you're you're exactly right. And you talk to people who live where you live, and they've got a completely different situation. But, I mean, I just think the larger point here is if you've got a hotel operator who knows or has reason to believe that there is illegal activity going on, and at this point in time, being in this country illegal is still illegal. Uh, illegally is still something illegal. The, the notion that you have to now apologize for notifying authorities. And again, what the authorities do with this information, that, that's a completely different story. My guess is, by sharing the hotel registers, that the vast majority of people who are probably on these registers don't run afoul of immigration. I, I'm, you're not hearing stories about how immigration suddenly came in and, and violated the rights. I don't know what they do with this, in, this information. My guess is they take it, they look at it, they verify or determine that, hey, the, you know, these people aren't in the country legally, and then they go out and they make the arrests. All right, so because you don't, like I say, you don't hear this idea that they're they're just swarming in and getting everybody out of their motel rooms. I understand from a business perspective, oh gosh, some of the people at Motel 6 might be upset that the, uh, again, illegal immigration people are concerned, but at some point in time, don't you have an interest to the higher good? Let's talk to Jake in Caledonia. Jake, good morning. Morning, Jeff. What do you think? Yeah, one of those guys that say, hey, what don't you, illegal, illegal is illegal. What don't you understand about that? And right. I'm all for building a wall and immigration getting under control. But also, I value my privacy very much. I would not want a hotel giving my personal information to the law enforcement. Um, well, when you say personal information, I say you say personal information, what do you mean? The fact that you're staying there? Correct. In my name, and that's not their business. If they need to get probable cause and get a warrant if they want my information. Well, but let's, let's okay. Um, so, Jake, you're a drug dealer, and you're doing a drug deal at the hotel, and the clerks see something suspicious. You would you would be opposed to the clerk calling up the police department and saying, hey, this person named Jeff Wagner just checked in. There's something funny going on here. You would object to that? No, not necessarily that, but just to give out the entire registration of all their guests to see if they're legal or not. Um, without any kind of probable cause, yeah. reasonable suspicion, that's a little different, I think. Okay. Well, I, and, and, and again, the, the way it I, the, the way it works is the, the, the hotel, the, the government can't require the hotel to do that if the hotel doesn't want to. In, in your scenario, if the government, if the agent said, "Hey, we want to see your books," um, and the hotel said no. Well, then you're right. They'd have to get a warrant for that information. But the flip side is, I mean, those Fourth Amendment things, that that doesn't apply to private citizens or businesses. The businesses can share that information if they choose. In this particular case, you've got the hotel that is choosing to share that information because they want to help identify people who might be staying at their hotel who are not legally allowed to be here. And I guess I, I don't. I don't really have an issue with that, um, especially given the nature of, of the problem. Uh, now, again, I guess the flip side is if you are if you hear about this and you are in this country illegally, maybe the message is don't stay at Motel 6. But my guess is this might not be the type of clientele they want anyways. Just saying. It's 955. This is Jeff Wagner.
It's 10.09. This is Jeff Wagner. We're glad to have you with us. I don't know exactly what to make of this story involving the the firing of the latest director at Mitchell International Airport. Now, what happened is at, at the airport, they had the same guy that ran it for the longest time. And then they hired, he retired, they hired somebody new. That person lasted three months, and then they resigned. And then in December of 2015, um, they hired a guy named Ismail Bonilla. Everybody, his name, nickname is Izzy. And interesting guy with an interesting background. He came from the private sector. He was the chief business development officer for um, a, an international airport paving, marking, and maintenance contractor out, out of New York. And they brought him to Milwaukee. And in the the approximate, he was just he was just fired. But in the uh, the little less than two years that he's been here, he's actually, by any objective standard, done a pretty good job, you know, with the the airport. Like I say, he came in after the previous guy left after three months, and if you look at what's going on at the airport, it, it's really over the last year and a half, it's kind of a success story. Um, that the number of flights at Mitchell has expanded ten new nonstops in the past year. Um, as airlines have been expanding. And while for the longest time we had kind of a golden age of air travel in Milwaukee, and, and those days are sort of gone, but now the airport, at least by my standards, appears to be kind of on an upswing. So you know, to the extent that you know he was the boss while this was going on, he, he deserves a lot of credit for it. So he's doing a good job. I mean, so why did he get fired by, by Chris Abley? Well, okay, so he takes over in December of 2015. He's criticized because he hired his best friend as the deputy director of the airport. Now, I think that's unfair because the question becomes, is the guy he hired competent or not? I mean, I I understand if there was a situation where I was hired for a position and I knew somebody, I, I needed a number two person to, to work with me. And I knew who the I knew the person, and we were close friends. And but the person was good. Well, I, I don't necessarily think that there's anything wrong with with hiring your your friend. We're not talking about nepotism where you're hiring like a family member. It, it, the question to me is, it's not it's not did you hire your friend? It's is your friend competent to do the job? Because I could understand why people want to surround themselves with people that are close to them. I mean, I, I think if you look at the history of corporations, that happens a lot. You know, you have some high-powered person, you know, who switches jobs. First thing they do is they bring in people that they're comfortable with. In many cases, people they've worked with before. In many cases, it might be close friends of theirs. They, they bring them in to work with them. So the issue isn't, are you friendly with the boss? The question is, are you competent to do the job? He, he's also been, been criticized for a, a couple other things. According to the story in the journal Sentinel um, today, um, the Comptroller's Office began receiving complaints um, about six months after he started, including alleged abuse of a county purchase card, personal use of a county vehicle, and again, hiring his best friend. To me, hiring the best friend, uh, personal use of a county vehicle and a county purchase card, well, it depends exactly what he did um, as to how bad that is. And then there, there's the thing that apparently you know got him, got him sacked. What happened was um, he arranged for a contractor 
to visit Timmerman Airport on the northwest side in August of 2016 regarding a proposed business plan for the airport. Um, what was going to happen is the next month, September of last year, the county was going to publish, they, they were going to take bids. They were looking for somebody to develop a business plan. And so they were going to publish it in September. Uh, this guy apparently gave a heads up to this one company, let them come in to Timmerman a month before and take a look at it. Um, ultimately, they ended up getting the contract. Three other companies that wanted the contract didn't have an opportunity to visit Timmerman, and the auditors concluded that the visit gave him a competitive advantage. They also confirmed that he had a prior working relationship with this company and with a subcontractor. So the the argument is, all right, he knew that they were going to be bidding this particular thing in September. He let people that he had apparently had a previous working relationship Come in, take a look at it. Other contractors were kind of shut out of this process, and so maybe the company, you know, benefited unfairly from that. And and that's what ended up getting him sacked. Um, to me, I've been trying to think about this, and unless there's some evidence that he was personally enriching himself with, with kickbacks, I understand why Abley perhaps had to do what he did. But at the same time, I think this is. This might be chalked up to one of the differences between the private sector and the public sector. If you're in the private sector and, you know, you you know that, well, okay, you're, you're going to need a project. You know you're going to be doing a building project, for example. You haven't announced it yet. I don't think it would be necessarily uncommon for... For example, a CEO to call up, say, an architect that they had worked with before and say, hey, I want you to come out and, you know, look look at this particular job um, just to give you an idea about it. And then a month later, you announce publicly, hey, we're going to be taking bids on this particular project and you allow a couple people to come in. In the private sector, that is not unusual and it wouldn't be a big deal. In the public sector, I guess it is because I think it's probably apparent that this one company – received an advantage over the other companies, and I understand why they think it's unfair. So I guess I'm sort of split on this. People tell me that this guy did a really good job. It seems to me like he cut corners. That's what this is. And cutting corners might even be too harsh a description of this. Again, unless there's evidence, and I don't think there is, that he actually put money in his pocket and was stealing from the county. I don't think it's that. I think it's just... I would chalk this up to the difference between working in the public sector and working in the private sector. And I'm not, I'm not condoning it. I'm not defending it. I just think that's, there's more to this story than, oh, oh, the guy has been fired because of misconduct. I think, again, yes, it might be misconduct, but it's, it's at least understandable. And I'm not justifying it, but it's, at least it's understandable. Now, maybe there's going to be evidence that come out that suggests that he was stealing. I don't think that's the case. It was just, I think he was trying to get stuff done. It sounds like he kind of steered things towards people that he had worked with in the past and had relationships with who he knew could get stuff done. And, of course, when you're working for the government, that's not always the way that you can operate. It's 1016. When we come back... It's an interesting story about a couple Democrat senators who apparently have problems with Catholics. Stick around. It's 1017. 
It's 1019, Jeff Becker, 620 WTMJ. Mitch text, is bid rigging, rigging illegal? Is that what this is? I don't think this is bid rigging. I, I don't. I, I think what he did, the, this is the airport director, I think what he did is he gave access to a company that he knew and had worked with before. He gave them special access, so they got a chance to see Timmerman, which obviously gave them a leg up in putting together their, their plan. I, I don't know. I mean, to me, that's not bid rigging. I mean, bid rigging is where you get kickbacks and things like that. And I don't think, I'm saying I don't think that that happened here. Again, this is something that I, I my guess is it probably goes on in the private sector all the time. But when you try to you know, bring this to the public sector, you've got all these different rules. And I'm not condoning it. I'm not condoning it. I'm just saying I, I think there might be more to this story than on the surface. Um, let's see. Uh, Lon writes, I think this is kind of silly. He knows airport projects, so obviously he's going to know people in the business and might already have knowledge of which companies provide higher quality work. So why not use that to advantage and let him do his thing? I wonder if that was what was going on here. And like I say, you know, one of the things, oh, that they, he hired his friend. Well, I, again, I don't see a problem with that unless the friend is not qualified. But again, a lot of times, my guess is you work side by side with somebody. You're, you're running a private company, and your number two person is really, really good, and you trust them, and you're friends. That's your number two person. So you get a different job. And I think the first thing a lot of people do is they say, hey, I want to bring quality people with me. So, hey, you know, Evan, come work with me. You know, here, come come do this. And it's only wrong if the person you're bringing is unqualified. At least that's how it seems to me. All right. I've been waiting all week to discuss this with you. Um, there, there, sometimes there are some religions that if you follow them, you cannot be criticized. On the other hand, other religions, well, people question you. Here's the story. Um, there is a woman. She's a professor at Notre Dame Law School. Her name is Amy Coney, Coney Barrett. And she is up for, she's been nominated by President Trump to take a vacancy on the United States Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit. Right? And that's, that's the court that hears cases from Milwaukee, from Wisconsin, Illinois, and, and Indiana. Um, so she's up there. She's a... And she has to be confirmed by the U.S. Senate. That's the way it works. President nominates her. She has to be confirmed. So she's going through hearings in front of the U.S. Senate. Um, she apparently, nobody nobody questions you know, her, her competence. Um, every full-time member of the Notre Dame Law School faculty signs a letter describing her as a brilliant teacher and scholar, a warm and generous colleague. She possesses in abundance all the other qualities that shape extraordinary jurists, discipline, intellect, wisdom, impeccable temperament, and above all, fundamental decency and humanity. All right. She's also a law professor at Notre Dame, and um, she is she is a, a serious Christian who has written on written on like Catholic values. But, of course, you know, she's a professor at, at Notre Dame, so would that necessarily be surprising? So she's here. She's having this hearing. Um, first, you have Dick Durbin, who's a Democrat from Illinois, who decides to ask her, do you consider yourself an Orthodox Catholic? Huh. Now, he's, he's trying to vet her to determine whether or not she's qualified to be a judge. And he asks her about her religion. Can you imagine 
if you had somebody who was up for a, ju- a judgeship and you had a senator who said, do you consider yourself to be an Orthodox Muslim? Can you imagine the firestorm? So he asked her if he's Catholic. Then Dianne Feinstein, who is the uber lefty senator from California, goes on with this. And she starts to lecture her. And she says, well, I, I know that you are a Catholic. Um, the way I see it, this is Feinstein, dogma and law are two different things. And I think whatever a religion is, it has its own dogma. The law is totally different. When you read your speeches, your con- the conclusion one draws is that the dogma lives loudly within you. In other words, you practice your faith. That's what she's saying. You practice your Catholic faith. And that's of a concern when you come to big issues that large numbers of people have fought for years in this country. So in other words, because you are a practicing Catholic, I am concerned that you are going to be able to follow the law. Can you again imagine if someone would have said this to someone, again, who, like I say, is is a Muslim? Can you imagine what the reaction was? But because this woman is Christian in general, and Catholic in particular, she's questioned about whether or not she can follow the law. Right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This, to me, is the latest example of this clueless war against Christianity. I mean, seriously, you're going to suggest to this brilliant jurist that I think you might not be qualified because you live your faith. So, in other words, you can't follow the law. Really? 414-799-1620. I think this is absolutely outrageous. And the truth of the matter is, I don't think you could say this to anybody other than a Christian without having... Again, just things explode, but apparently it's fair to do it because she's Catholic. We discuss next. It's 1025. It's 1035, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Uh, let's see, there's, uh, the Packers are looking to go 2-0 by picking up a big road win. Boy, it sure would be. While the Brewers find themselves playing an unexpected home series in the middle of the pennant race. What a sports weekend on tap. Longtime area sportscaster Jesse Garcia previews it all with John McCure during Wisconsin's Afternoon News at 3.20 today. All right, um, if you follow me on Twitter, it's Jeff Wagner 620. I, I sent out this story a little bit earlier today. Olivia Munn who is the actress, former girlfriend of Aaron Rodgers, of course, Packers quarterback. Um, and they, they broke up a few months ago. And it's kind of apparent to me who broke up with, with who, um, if, if you look at the dialogue. Um, and she's, what do they say about a, a woman scorned? Um, she has been, what is the phrase? She's she's trolling him. I'm looking at a story that today's GMJ4 had. All is fair in love and war, as the saying goes. Actress Olivia Munn seems to have taken that to heart, unleashing some subtle and not-so-subtle digs on her ex-boyfriend Aaron Rodgers in the form of Instagram posts. And so Munn, together with this comedian who I don't know named Nick Swartzen, who's a friend of hers, they're, they're doing this. So there was a story a couple weeks ago how they take a picture of Munn hanging out with this guy wearing a cap representing the, the Minnesota Vikings. Okay, so that got enough attention. Then she posts an odd alteration to the photo. The guy's cap was changed to a Photoshop image of Rogers 
and Swardson in formal wear with a caption reading, Note to all friends, please remove all sports paraphernalia whilst we hang out. Um, hump, hump, hump. Um, then, uh, let's see, it's part of a pattern. Munn and Stewartson posed for a photo. The Vikings then got in on it, egging Rodgers and the Packers on. Um, so then the story I'm looking at says, if you have any doubt how Munn and Swartzen feel about Rodgers, doubt no more. And Swartzen posts something himself describing the two-time NFL MVP's jersey as toilet paper. So, okay, you've got, you've got the ex-girlfriend who apparently is a little bit bitter over the way this ended. And so she, she's posting this, this different stuff. And, um... Again, I, I agree with the sentiment that it's subtle, and in some cases subtle, in some cases it's it's not so subtle. And um, she's apparently not happy. And my guess is you can tell who who broke up with who. This is, of course, the um, the thing that you run into when you know you have relationships. I've been touting this little movie lately that I it was up for several Oscars, but not many people saw it. Now it's making the rounds of like HBO and Showtime. It's called Hell or High Water and it's it's really good. It stars Jeff Bridges, who's the guy from the Big Lebowski, and he now plays he plays a, a sheriff an aging sheriff in Texas, and the story is about these two guys that are robbing banks to try to raise a little bit of money to save the family ranch. And it's actually, even if you don't like bank robbery movies, it's a pretty good movie. But there's one scene, I was watching it again last night, there's one scene where the two brothers, and and one of the brothers had taken home a a woman who worked in a hotel the night before. And the one guy says, the the two brothers are talking, and the one says, boy, why why is it that the, the sweet ones always turn out to be such wildcats? And the other brother says... I don't know. I've never had a sweet one. And then the first guy says, yeah, that's right. I mean, mo- most of the women that you were attracted to, and he says it more directly than this, but he said, most of the women you attracted to were, uh, they were, they were all really angry. And he says, yep, yep, they, they were. And it's, again, it sounds like that's kind of the, the Aaron Rodgers thing. But, you know, I was thinking about this, and th- this caused me to, to kind of take a, a walk down memory lane. One, <laughs> and, and, I've known sweet ones, and I've kind of known the other way as well. And I, I think they would tell you the, the same thing. And, you know, over the years, you know, um, I, I'm sure that a lot of people might have said the same thing about me. But I was having this conference. I was just thinking about the, these things. And I was thinking, you know, it does sound like Olivia Munn is kind of that, that ex-girlfriend from you know where. And I was also thinking, again, girlfriend, boyfriend, regardless of your gender. It's we, we all have them, and, and none of us... None of us want them, or maybe we we kind of like them to to go away. So I thought we'd have a little bit of fun on a Friday morning. Our number four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Who is your Olivia Munn? Do you have that ex girlfriend or boyfriend? Again, I'm not trying to be gender specific here. That 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 one that you know you just you knew it was a mistake and. You know, you, you've kind of passed them on. You're ready to move on with your life, and they don't appear to move on. I mean, do you have that ex-boyfriend or that ex-girlfriend from you know where? All right, we're not going to name names, but we are going to tell stories. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We're back to discuss. Stick around. It is 1040. Your chance to publicly confess. We don't, we're not going to necessarily name names, but that, that ex boyfriend, girlfriend, ex-husband, ex-wife, that you just kind of say, man, um, I, I tell you, 
uh, this is what they did, and I just I wish they would be ready to move on. It's 1041. Um, we're going to share. It's going to be group therapy. Stick around. 1041, Jeff Wagner, 620, WTMJ. It's 1044, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Tonight, our Preps Live cover, high school, our Preps Live high school football coverage spotlights a battle in the Classic 8 Conference. The Maguanago Indians visit, the, yes, they are the Maguanago Indians still. Hmm. They visit the Waukesha West Wolverines, and you can catch our coverage at WTMJ.com and on the WTMJ mobile app starting at 640 this evening. Okay, let's go to our text line. We're... Um, we're, we're talking about having a little bit of fun on a Friday morning. The uh, we, we all have them, the, the ex-boyfriend, ex-girlfriends from you know where. Um, I bring this up because publicly, apparently, Aaron Rodgers is being trolled by his ex-girlfriend. Um, let's see, 414-799-1620. Let's go to the, uh, let me find the text line here. Too much stuff going on. All right. Um, when I broke up with my ex, she told me she was pregnant. She did tell me she was kidding. It was four days later, though. Um, Joe says, I've had my share of crazy ones, but none as crazy as one of my friend's girlfriends. When she moved out, she took the time to cut a hole in every article of clothing that he had. Huh. 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 Um, let's see. Oh, my God, what a great topic. I have a class reunion next weekend. Lots of old girlfriends will be there. It's been 35 years, and you remember them all. Uh, let's see. Justin says, I had a psychot- I had a psycho hypocritical girlfriend. It's all guys. I'm sure that there's women who have stories, to- too. I had a psycho hypocritical girlfriend who was quite insecure the whole time we were together, constantly checking up on me and calling and texting at all hours, accusing me of cheating on her when, in fact, she was cheating on me all along i have one of the stories um actually first gal i dated in high school we we still um and i think it it ended badly and it was my fault probably i I don't exactly remember why but it was high school and stuff but actually um i we we talk every couple years or so she's an attorney in wisconsin and um matter of fact after her father passed away we exchanged emails so so we we got along okay but i think it was the gal that i started dating after my, my first kind of crush and we we broke up, and it was, it, it I'm sure it was my fault as well, but I, I remember we broke up, and it had been after her birthday, and I, I just I sent her balloons or something like that, so we 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 broken up, and a, a couple of days later, she shows up at my house. Okay, so I'm like 16 years old. She shows up at my house, and um, my mom answers the door, and she gives my mom this package and says, "This is for Jeff." So okay. So I don't think I told my mom whether we'd broken up or not. And so my mom says, Jeff, you know, so she said, I don't want to see him, but here, here, this is it. So my mom calls me and says, oh, you know, she just dropped off this package. So it's it's like wrapped. It's a package. It's wrapped. So I, I, <laughs> I open it up and um, all all the balloons that I had given her, she had taken them and they're shredded. They're like cut in these little pieces. And it's got this note saying, this is what you've done to my heart or something like that. And my mom is standing over me while I'm, I'm opening this thing. And there's all this shredded. I'm 16 years old and there's these shredded balloons. I've got, this is what you've done to my, my heart. And my, my mother, who uh, just, I mean, she passed away seven years ago. I miss her to this day more than I can tell you. Oh, my mom looks at me and I, I remember her saying, you're not seeing her anymore, right? And I said, no. And my mother says, hmm, probably a good thing. <laughs> you know, that, was, that, was just, that was just it. But, I mean, I remember I got this, bo- I got this box full of these shredded balloons for um, 
goodness sake. Um, let's see. Um, Mitch says, I feel left out of this discussion. I doubt anyone has ever had any trouble getting over me. Oh, no, no, no. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I think, you know, we, 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 we all have them. Um, I have a I have another friend who, um, a, a gal, and she used to have guys that, it, it, would be this, it would be different guys, but they were the same guy. You know, and she'd come in and she'd be in love and then she'd come in and she'd be crying. And I said, what happened? Well, you know, Bruce and I broke up. He stole my car. <laughs> Bruce and I, uh, then, you know, Frank, but Frank was Bruce. You know, it was, it was this, it was different names, but really the same guy. Another guy cleans out her checking account and I'm saying, huh, really? Let's talk to Bonnie in Greenfield. Bonnie, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi. Hi Good Bonnie. morning. Thanks for taking my call. I Thanks do, for obviously. <laughs> you're a nice guy. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. There might be some women in my past that might disagree <laughs> with that, but I chalk that up to being young. You know, when you're 16 and 17, you know, you... Well, you yeah. <laughs> no, I was old enough to know better, but I owned a home when I happened to marry this um, gentleman, <laughs> and it didn't, it didn't work out, so I politely asked him to leave. As it turned out, the police had to assist on that, but <laughs> shortly after he left, suddenly it became that he had purchased that home for me. And here I had cheated him out of this home. And then on top of it, there was that other theft that I had perpetrated on him. And then there was a time I stole everything out of his wallet. And then there was a time I used his credit card. His friends were calling me every week to give me the running total. We had a great time just keeping track of it. But let me say it was huge. Uh, yeah, thanks for the call. It's one of these things. Again, it's it's one of these scenarios that, you know, if you can figure out a way to make the breakup work. I guess part of the thing is, I, I look, Olivia Munn isn't going to have any trouble, you know, finding. She's, she's a movie star. She's not going to have any trouble, you know, moving on. But it does seem like she's having a little bit of problems with that. It, it kind of kind of makes you feel bad about for Aaron Rodgers. But I think the bottom line of this is that we, we, we've all been there one way, shape, or form, perhaps just not as publicly as Rogers is right now. It's 1051. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1053. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, who BD, who's producing the program today. Do you know how you can tell if somebody went to Harvard? You know? You don't. Oh. The way, the way you can tell if somebody went to Harvard is all you have to do is talk to them for two minutes because they will work that into the sentence. When I, it doesn't matter what you're talking about. They will mention that they went to, to Harvard. You you could be walking down the street and you could say, hey, that that's you got. I can get a really great burger there. And they will say, yeah, but, you know, when I was at Harvard, there was a place. Hey, let's go get a beer at such and such. Oh, that sounds great. Love to do it. Boy, I tell you, there was a great bar when I was at Harvard. It's it just and I know my friends who went to Harvard, and by the way, I have the greatest respect for people who went to Harvard. I do. It's just, I think that there is a class that says that if you went to Harvard, you have to figure out a way to work that into the conversation within the first two minutes. In any event, Harvard and Chelsea Manning. Everybody remembers who Chelsea Manning is. Chelsea Manning, born Bradley Manning, is the former U.S. Army soldier who was convicted in a court-martial in 2013 of violations of the Espionage Act after disclosing to WikiLeaks nearly 750,000 
classified or unclassified but sensitive military and diplomatic documents. Okay? So this is the guy. He was the intelligence analyst. He had access to all sorts of information, and he decided to leak this. The material included um, lots of videos and information about our war on terrorism. He was ultimately charged with 22 offenses, including aiding the enemy. Um, he could have been looking at a death sentence um, if he convicted of that charge. You know, ultimately, um, he ended up being convicted, like I say, of numerous violations of the Espionage Act. He was sentenced to 35 years in confinement. Um, he got released after serving less than four years. Thank you, Barack Obama. All right, so that's that's Brad Manning, who was also transgender. Uh, Manning is a transgender woman um, who, in a statement the day after sentencing, said she had had a female gender identity since childhood, wanted to be known as Chelsea, etc., etc. So, okay, so now, now Brad Manning is Chelsea Manning. Um, she was supposed to serve 35 years in prison. Brad Manning, uh, Barack Obama, let Manning out of prison after serving less than four years. Um, as far as I'm concerned, um, as far as I'm concerned, what you have is somebody who is a, a traitor who I think is guilty, if not technically of treason. I think this is as close as it comes. So why do I bring up Harvard and Chelsea Manning? Because Harvard has just announced that Chelsea Manning will be a visiting fellow at Harvard, a visiting fellow at Harvard. Can you imagine this? Um, as a result of this, the CIA director, CIA chief, he was supposed to um, appear at Harvard's Kennedy School of Government and, you know, to give a presentation. And he said, look, um, I, I'm a Harvard graduate, but as far as I'm concerned, Manning is an American traitor, and I agree with that, by the way, whose actions and ethos contradict the CIA's most valuable and sacred values. Said Harvard, by making Chelsea Manning a fellow, implicitly tells its students that you too can be a fellow at Harvard and a felon under the law of the United States. I believe it is shameful for Harvard to place its stamp of approval upon her treasonous activities. Um, and now Harvard's starting to get all sorts of backlash from this for, uh, again, reaching out in what was clearly a, a politically correct effort. Um, here, as uh, part of the Visiting Fellows Program, Manning will occasionally appear on Harvard campus for speaking engagements and events, will interact with undergraduate students on topical issues of the day, etc., etc., etc. So you have somebody who is essentially a traitor, who has, in my opinion, committed treason. But at Harvard, that's not a barrier to saying, come on to the, the campus and we're going to set you up for speeches and have you interacting with the students. The CIA chief is absolutely correct. So in the next day or so, if you're walking around and you happen to be talking to somebody and within the first two minutes of the conversation, they mention, hey, when I was at Harvard, my advice would be, why don't you ask them, how do you feel about Harvard making Chelsea Manning a fellow? Just saying. It's 1059. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 
1108. This is Jeff Wagner. Glad to have you with us. Ah, breaking news story. Just an update on what we just talked about. Harvard apparently has rescinded the visiting fellowship offered to Chelsea Manning in the face of criticism. Um, the Let's see, the dean of the Harvard Kennedy School of Government just came out with a statement not that long ago. I now think that designating Chelsea Manning as a visiting fellow was a mistake for which I accept responsibility. Um, You think so? Um, He says he decided to withdraw the invitation after realizing that many people view a visiting fellow title as an honorific. Yeah. And though the school hadn't intended to honor Manning in any way or endorse her words or deeds... Um, yes, he says, I apologize. I recognize the many concerned people from whom I've heard today um, for me not recognizing up front the full implications of our original invitation. Gee, let's see. You have somebody who is a traitor, um, who is a felon, and you decide here who should be in prison were it not for Barack Obama and you decide here we're, we're going to have them come onto the campus now apparently she's still allowed to come on the campus she's just not going to have the title Chelsea Manning responds by saying this is what a military police intel state looks like the CIA determines what is and is not taught at Harvard now bottom line is you should still be in prison in the first place and yeah maybe maybe there still are a little bit of standards some standards that are out there. Okay, BD, who's producing the program today. Last, oh, BD is gone. He's getting food. We're having a Packers potluck, so people are getting food. Everybody gets food but me. Okay, that's fine. All right, Rachel, uh, this is different. Um, You're sitting in. My guess is you did not watch the football game last night. All right, there was a football game last night. Um, It was on the NFL Network. It included, um, it was Houston. Houston playing somebody. I even watched kind of part of it, and it just didn't pay much attention to it. Um, but if you didn't watch it, they played the Bengals, right? The Bengals are awful, right? The Bengals are just terrible. They play the Packers uh, week after next, right, um, at Lambeau Field. So the they were just terrible. I bring this up because if you didn't watch the game, you are in good company because lots and lots of people did not watch the game. Last year, NFL ratings for the first time in years were down. And it really kind of sent shockwaves throughout the the media buyers and, and the media industry. Because NFL games, up until last year, the, the thinking was, okay, the ratings are going to keep going up and up and up. And we can put whatever product we want there out on the field and people are going to watch. Well, what happened last year is a number of things. First of all, you had a lot of really bad games. That, that people just didn't tune into. In addition, you had some of the, the most recognizable stars, for example, the Peyton Mannings, who had retired and weren't playing. And then you had the whole controversy involving Colin Kaepernick, etc. So going into this year, the hope was, all right, last year was going to be an aberration, and, and people are going to come back, and they can't get enough of their football. Well, um, that's not exactly what happened. Because if you look at the ratings, with a couple exceptions, ratings continue to be down from last year. And like I say, last year's ratings were down. Now, there's still a lot of people that watch football. There's no question about it. But the ratings are are down. Um, One of the exceptions was the Monday night football game with Dallas. Okay, that, that was up a little bit. But in general, that was a Sunday night game. Ratings for Monday night. Ratings for these Thursday night games, and in general, 
across the board, ratings for the Sunday games continue to decline. Now, last week, bit of an aberration because you also had the hurricanes that were going on in Florida, and a lot of people were paying attention to the hurricanes. So the NFL folks are saying, well, don't worry, don't worry. Last week was just an anomaly because what you had was, again, you had all the hurricane coverage and that type of stuff, so people weren't paying attention. We think the ratings are going to pick up. Now, this, when you live in Wisconsin, and, of course, we, we are all Packers Nation. It's tough to necessarily recognize this because when the Packers are on, let's face it, we're going to listen to the games and we're going to watch the games. That, that's just the reality because the Packers are kind of a quasi-religion here. So, you know, they're, they're always going to do well. But what they're seeing is a decline in the casual viewership, a decline in not watching, you know, or listening to the Packers game on, on Saturday night, but the Thursday night football game between teams that you really don't care about. I mean, who cares about Houston? Who cares about Cincinnati? Um, that people would previously watch that they're now no longer watching. Now, the NFL thinks that this is an aberration. I think there's a lot more going on. And I, I think there's several factors that are contributing. But the NFL wants to say, don't worry, it's all going to come back. I don't think they're right. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are you watching less professional football? And if so, why? 414-799-1620. I know I am, and I think I know why. How are you perceiving this? Is this just, again, the networks are saying nothing to see here. The league is saying nothing to see here. I think this is a sign of a bigger problem that is only going to get worse. We'll discuss if that's the case and why in just a minute. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1114. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1116. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Look, the, the NFL is still a huge draw. And, and, of course, obviously the Packers are going to continue to be a huge draw. But I think this idea that, gee, you can just put out any sort of crummy football game and, and people are going to watch it, I think I think that that's just fundamentally wrong. On top of that, I think people, many people, turn to sports because you want to release. And this idea of all the players deciding that, or at least some players deciding we're going to conduct these protests, that's a huge turnoff. And it's a huge huge problem i think for the nfl moving forward let's start with mike in milwaukee mike you're first good morning morning jeff hey i used to watch a fair amount of football and then make some time on sundays for it but then when all these protests started i thought you know what i'll do my own protest i won't watch as much as i once did and um i've noticed now that i kind of took that year and i wasn't watching as much last year i i have really no great desire to go back to finding the time for it now so yeah. I, I've kind of moved on, and I, I still watch the Packers. But then when, you know, Martellus Bennett or whatever this guy is, you know, with his fist in the air, I thought, you know what, maybe I don't even need to watch the Packers anymore. So it's a so turn. It's I, a it is a turnoff to you, huh? It, it is. It, you know, you can have your protests, but you know, I, I look through football. You know, I watch a fair amount. I probably watch a little bit more college football now because there isn't nearly as much of this, and, and the schools can control it much more than the NFL for whatever reason. The NFL. If they just passed a rule and said don't do it, um, and made that the flat rule, I think I think they would get back some viewers. But now that I've stopped, I, I really have no great desire to go back and, and find the time for it anymore. Well, so right, I mean, they kind of lost me. Yeah, I mean, think, and, that, and that's the problem. I mean, you get into a lot of stuff is a habit, 
And once you kind of fall out of the, the habit, and, and I think the protests turn off some people. Now, that's not the only factor. Again, I, I think part of it is you've got this oversaturation of the product. You've got uh, professional football, which is Sunday and Monday and Thursday. And there's a lot of loser games that are out there. Now, maybe if you're a fan of the Houston Texans or the Cincinnati Bengals, you're going to be tuned in on Thursday night. But for the for people who really don't care about that, there's other stuff to do. But these protests, I think, clearly do not help. 414-799-1620. Marty in Sheboygan. Marty, good morning. Good morning, Jeff. What do you think? Um, I would agree, too, that the, the protests and all the political stuff that's going on besides football, um, it just never seems to end. That's right. definitely playing a part with certain people. Um, you know, I, I've never been a huge devote my Sunday to all-day football guy in general, but... Um, you know, the oversaturation, I think, is a big thing. They're trying to capitalize on the popularity. Uh, so now we got to have Thursday night games, right. um, Saturday games. You know, people have other things to do where they used to devote their Sunday to right. watching football and a lot of it. Because um, that's the only time you could see it. You know, that, right. and then, then the, the Sunday night game, first of all, you just had, you didn't have Sunday night games. You just had the Monday night game. So that was the big deal. Now the Sunday night game is the big deal. The Monday night game is kind of a throwaway. And if it's a team you don't care about, well, okay, you've got other things to do. People have lives. Exactly, and even if even if my team is playing on, say, a Thursday night, and I got the choice between watching, say, the Packers or going to watch one of my kids play basketball, uh, say, at a high school game or whatever. Um, the kids you know, win. That, that, that's not really a tough decision. Right. Um, so it, it's, you know, they're, they're I think they're, Banking on everybody's just going to give up everything for them, and it's, it's well, not going to happen. Well, no, it, you're you're right, and of course you've got the other type of competition as well. I mean, I don't. I was trying to think if there's a night that football isn't on. Now you've got the colleges, which are are, are even the Big Ten that, that are playing football games on Friday night, which is of course. You know the, the high schools don't like that. So you've got the colleges that are on. The colleges are on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Saturday. I, I honestly, I think Tuesday night is the only night that there's not football that is going to be nationally televised. And look, every people love football. I get it, but at the same time, you know, it, it's not special anymore. And I think that ends up hurting. I mean, I think it's like in, anything; you get to an oversaturation. But don't get me wrong. I think these protests are, are also having an impact as well. Here I have a uh, have a note from Jake. I will not watch any NFL games or buy anything NFL until they make a work rule requiring all employees to stand during the national anthem. No fists in the air either. Or stay in the locker room until it's over. It's not the time and the place to protest. You don't all you don't have all First Amendment free speech rights at work. Do it on their own time. And I do think there's a lot of people who feel that way. That's why it's so that's why it's so sensitive here. Um, Patrick sends a note saying, I don't have the time during my life to watch football every day. Thursday night games, unless the Packers are involved, and I'm sure many across the nation with their local teams are not going to watch. Let's also throw in the NFL, the fact that the NFL has chosen to partner with ESPN, and ESPN has decided to change formats to attract untraditional audiences and politicize the NFL very much in the way national news cable channels have done. Yeah, I mean... he. That, that that's a point. I mean, you have this whole thing with the ESPN 
anchor, Jamel whatever, Jamel Hill, you know, who comes out. Trump is a white supremacist, and there were reports that ESPN was going to pull her off her show last night, but then a number of the other anchors protested this and said that they wouldn't work and do this. I mean, ESPN's got a mess, too, because it's decided that it's going to go this political route, and now they're facing this backlash. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Pat in Milwaukee. Pat, good morning. Good morning. How are you, Jeff? I'm well, thank you. What do you think's going on? Um, well, I just can only speak from my perspective. Sure. But whether or not I choose to watch a football game has nothing to do with the protest. Um, I think the bigger message here and the thing that saddens me more is that in 2017, there are still legitimate reasons for having protests. I, I find it interesting that so many that it makes so many people uncomfortable and maybe that's what's supposed to happen well i think the the answer is a lot of people just don't think it's the time and the place for that so right because they would never think it's the time and the place well i i, I don't know when, you, when, you don't when, do you think do you think that's hurting are, do you think that that's hurting the ratings i you know what i don't really care if it's hurting the ratings well okay. maybe that's part of it it doesn't make any difference to me whether it hurts the ratings or not the thing that's important is the fact that we still have legitimate reasons for that message to be out there in this day. Well, I guess the issue, though, Pat, would be whether or not that's the time and place and whether that's a legitimate form of protest or or not. For example, I will I'll get on my soapbox against the lying race baiter from the Seattle Seahawks, Michael Bennett. Yes, he is a lying race baiter. This is the guy who is in the Las Vegas casino who claims that he was singled out because he is a black man. And that's why the police threw me to the ground and they put a gun to my head. Well, of course, now that the facts are are emerging, Michael Bennett is there for the Floyd Mayweather fight. He is in a crowded casino where there are lots of other black men. Um, somebody, uh, there's a report of shots fired. There weren't shots fired. Apparently what happened is some, like, statues were knocked over or something, but it sounded like gunshots. So the police arrive. Shots fired in a Las Vegas casino. That's what they're investigating. They ask everybody to stay in place. Uh, Bennett is hiding behind a slot machine. He sees the police come in. They tell everybody to stay in place. He gets up, starts running as fast as he can, jumps over a four-foot barrier and goes out onto Las Vegas Boulevard. The police officers, who are minorities, now I don't know if they were African-American or not, chase after him. They don't know who he is. They put this big six-foot-five guy down on the ground and start to handcuff him. And then he's like, oh, I was singled out simply because I'm a black man. No, you were singled out because you ran ran when the police were investigating a shots fired thing. So, you know, he's engaging in this protest. Sorry, he is not a victim. And I do think that that's, I think that that's one of the factors that's going on. There's a lot of stuff. And like I say, I guess there's worse things than the, you know, NFL losing a little bit of ratings. But it, it's many factors. It's the quality of the games. It might be the length of the games. It's the oversaturation of the games. And, yeah, I, I think it's some of these entitled overprivileged athletes who are, I believe, exploiting the 15 minutes that they get on national TV to highlight what they perceive to be their particular issues, um, I don't know, at the expense of the rest of us. I think the NFL needs to figure out a way to get a handle on it. It is 1126. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1128, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 
have a text here. Jeff, I've boycotted the NFL until they stop this disrespect for the national anthem and all our vets, past, present, and future. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, for people who want to say, well, it's it's just, this isn't a factor, I, I think it is, and I think the NFL um, knows it. Dick and Grafton makes the point that I was making as well about oversaturation, though. He says, NASCAR did the same thing as the NFL. Uh, they created a truck series. They expanded the number of races. They diluted the product. They alienated the fans' attendance of half as half of what it has been. Um yeah, I mean, I think that that's a factor, you know, as well. But that's that's the oversaturation thing. There's a lot of stuff which is going on. Matter of fact, one of our callers we couldn't get to was also going to say the length of the games, and that's that's true as well. Um, we are busier. Plus, I think one of the other things is we consume stuff differently. Um, a lot more people might be taking in broadcasts on their sport, uh, smartphones or their computers, and I don't know if the ratings track that as well, but, you know, we get information different ways nowadays, and that's the expanse. So there's a lot of stuff going on, but if I was an NFL owner who was used to constantly having networks throwing me billions and billions of dollars, this would, in fact, be a cautionary tale. There's just no question about it. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, it is that time of the week. I'm going to be joined by Tracy Johnson and Susie Falk. We call the segment The Week in Review. It's coming up in just a couple minutes, so stick around. It's 1134, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The hunt for Brew October. Just over two weeks left in the regular season in the heat of the pennant race. And the Brewers have an unexpected home series on tap against the Marlins. That means Bob Euchre, Mr. Baseball, and Jeff Levering on your radio. Our game day coverage starts at 635 tonight. Um, It's going to be a really cool thing from Miller Park. Okay, we have now reached that point in the week where I end up getting to be the thorn between the two roses. It's the Week in Review, joined, as always, by Susie Falk from Falk Group PR. Hello. Good morning. Hey, Jeff. We were hanging out at Oktoberfest together last week. We had a great time. Just kind of ran into each other. Absolutely. And she wasn't at Oktoberfest, but you would have been welcome. Tracy Johnson from the Commercial Association of Realtors. Great to be here. Next time. Next time we, we have time. We actually have time, don't we? October a couple more weekends. Couple more weekends. Okay. Yeah, a couple. It was a great. It was great last Saturday night. We were we were there. All right, let us get to it. Um, big news this week is after much debate, both the state senate and the state assembly have approved the Foxconn deal. A um, lot of naysayers, very little support from Democrats in the state senate, um, and. Very little support from Democrats in the state assembly, largely a party line vote. All right, Foxconn, is this going to turn out well for the taxpayers? Tracy Johnson. Yeah, I think it is. And and when you talk about the naysayers, I think you're mostly talking about the politicians and then maybe some people in the media who are kind of taking that forward. But, you know, a couple of things, and, and we've talked a lot about the supply chain, we've talked a lot about the economic impact, but, you know, think about the wages that are now going to be increased as a result of that competition. For some businesses, that's not a great thing, but I think overall for the people who are citizens of Wisconsin, that's a really great thing. Think about the the extra income to 
the the state that the state is going to make as a result of the property tax value, the capital investment, and all of the income. What that's about all be the people up. that say that Foxconn is a lousy company? You you can't trust them. Look what they do in in China. Well, You've got these slave type of conditions. They're horrible stewards of the environment. I mean, is any of this going to come true? No, I I don't believe that it's going to come Hopefully. true. Hopefully not. I, you know, I think that's why we have regulations in place is so that when we have unknowns like a Foxconn and they want to do business in Wisconsin, we have certain criteria that are set up to protect us. So, you know, to be honest, I don't like the fact that we kind of caved in on the regulations and we're kind of giving them anything they want. I also feel like uh, they got a lot of what they wanted. Also, what is with the being able to go directly um, to the Supreme Court of Wisconsin for any kind of complaints that are filed against them? That's really treating other businesses unfairly. But what what it is, is it's you're going to have the inevitable people who are going to file lawsuits in circuit court. That will proceed and all this does is it allows it to bypass the Court of Appeals. You can fast track it. there's a reason why we have the legal system in place that we do. It works in the state. Why are we all this? It sudden holds up give, Okay, so well, then what, let's well, but, give every other business the same benefit. Well, I think that there might be I, I think that there might be a lot of people that would argue that, you know, we, we bypass the Court of Appeals. But I mean, the, the bottom line is, you know there's going to be litigation. People will probably try to run to Madison to get the handful of judges in Dane County who will there, then, like, hold stuff up. All kinds of companies all yeah, the time. Exactly. And we have and, and, an appeals process well, in place. But back so, to the big picture, this right. is a great deal for not only yeah. the taxpayers, the, the taxpayers oh. and the citizens are going to benefit, and our government is going to benefit. And I know people okay. get really uptight about, oh, well, is it the government or the taxpayers? Everybody is going to benefit. I from am going to laugh because, um, and I am, I am a supporter of this, and yeah. I do. I, hey, I am not shy when it comes to government spending money. But if you do think about the laissez-faire approach that the conservatives have taken, and the fact that they do want to let the capitalist market, you know, Here. kind of take over, and then all of a sudden we're saying, no, you know what? Let's throw three billion dollars in taxpayer money behind this development. Hey, I'm in favor of this development, and I think, it's like there. Tracy, I think it's going to be good for Wisconsin overall. It is a bit hypocritical. So. Well, you know, I, I will say that if we were 10 years ago or 12 years ago under the Doyle administration, you had so much regulation, you had so such a poor economic development climate, you would have never, they wouldn't have even sniffed at Wisconsin. It's why a lot of companies don't even sniff at Milwaukee is because they're afraid of going and, and dealing with the bureaucracy that, that comes with a, 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 a proposition like that. But, well, and, and just to take on your point, if, if this was the Doyle administration, for example, that was doing exactly the same thing, and, and I agree with you, it wouldn't happen because of the regulations, but if they were doing the same thing, every single Democrat who voted against this in the state Senate and the state Assembly would have voted for it. I think a lot of this is, is political, and I've said this before, I think it is shameful that a lot of Milwaukee, Dem- all Milwaukee Democrats in the Assembly, except Jason Fields, and all the Milwaukee Democrats in the state Senate voted against this, because you have people who represent the most economically depressed areas of the state, and instead of trying to figure out a way, hey, how can we get some of our constituents down to the Racine area to work on this, they, they just said no because they didn't want to give Scott Walker a victory. I firmly believe that. Well, and then they don't get to be part of the solution in making this all happen. So I, I think, it, it, back to your original question about is this a good deal? Is this a good investment? You know, this isn't like there's a pot of money that that the governor and the government is saying, okay, here, Foxconn, here's $3 billion, go go make it happen. Mm-hmm. Foxconn is going to bring mm-hmm. the capital here. The suppliers are going to bring the capital here, and then it's in the form of tax credits and yeah. incentives I that s- they, they really are getting this I deal. Certainly, so, I certainly hope, hope 
that that is true i you know it's all about how do we improve what we have and i think that this is one approach another approach is to take some of our taxpayer dollars and spend it more on on uh, training technical training stem training it's a great benefit pump it, that will come I, uh, hopefully it will yeah. come and I, I am hopeful and so i do support this i think like jason fields and i you know he and i are kind of on the same page with this it's like it, we need the jobs we need we need jobs for for people and and i know that foxconn is going to bring them i hope that they keep their word and and we'll have 13,000 jobs out of this all right topic number two um the state budget well it's it is uh, there tracy's laughing because you've been working on this for a long time um the, the assembly passed it um you need 17 votes in the state senate you've got 13 democrats they're all going to vote against it so you need 17 out of the 20 Republicans. There are four conservative Republicans who are, at this point in time, still refusing to vote for the budget because it doesn't have this or that or the other thing in it. Robin Voss, the assembly leader, says, hey, you know, th- this, is, this is it. We've hammered this out. The budget is already two months overdue. Um, it, we're not taking it up anymore. What's going to happen today, Tracy, first of all? Well, I think that, and it might not happen today, but I think these guys are going to sit in a room and hammer it out. And just to to make a point about the the gang of four that they're, they're really talking about here, they're really holding out for... For, for changes that represent conservative principles. Now, if you look back at this budget, uh, y- y- what you have to say is you can't let perfect be the, en- the enemy of good. And there are a lot of good things in this budget. Is it perfect? No. Did everybody get what they wanted? No. I mean, there are no new revenues in this budget. And in order to make a lot of these things happen that, that people want to have happen, you need to create revenue. And that's just not happening. Did we have an opportunity to uh, reform taxes through the the Cuyenga plan. Yes, we had a lot of opportunities to uh, to serve the conservative voters in Wisconsin, and, and frankly, we didn't take it. And so, I think that's what this this gang of four is really trying to get at. And and I think it's a good thing. Should they hold up the entire process? I I think at at some point they're going to come to a negotiation, and there are lots of other t- tricks and tools that can be used between now like and the, the time that veto. It, well, and and at some point in time though, when you well, elect cons- item, and when yeah. you elect conservatives, I, don't you expect them to get stuff done? Well, Th- this to me oh. is it's and let's let's, have, yeah, let's go through the process. This is Washington it's Rich Kapanga, right? it's Steve Nass, yeah. it's Dewey Strobel, and it's Dave Craig, and. And you have you have a seventy five billion dollar budget that's two months overdue. And I agree with you, Tracy, that on certain issues. Look, I, do, I mean, here, here's the kind of stuff they're hung up on. Um, they, they want a referendum before local governments can impose wheel yeah. taxes. Okay, I don't have a problem with that. But you're going to hold up the budget right. for that? Grow up, guys. So but, hey, you know the what? Bigger what? narrative though is that there there are some things that they didn't go all the way on, and they well, had okay, the opportunity. But, right, but there's all sorts of stuff that's that that they got that you had a lot of other Republicans that didn't want to live sure. with and so you know you're gonna hang I mean, I mean i look at this stuff for example prevailing wage it's yep. something that we've all talked you about you and i yeah. right prevailing wage it's something that's been on the books since the 30s i think it's time to do away with it i think you would agree with mm-hmm. me tracy but okay so the, this legis as a part of the compromise they do away with, with prevailing wage in september not january these four are going to hold up the budget over that issue really well i think what they know is that there's probably specific projects that are going to cost a lot of money and and just like these the the, the reform that they want on uh, the energy project spending for the for the schools 
um, you know, there, there, there are ways around it. I have a and, and they know that. Take, I have a different take on the whole thing. I think they're doing this for political reasons. I think they're, they're going, they're, they're holding out because now we all have said their names. We're reading about their names and what their holdouts are, what, why they're acting this way. So they can go to their constituents and say, I tried. You know, I really tried. I was holding sure. out so we could, you know, increase um, expanding the choice program. I held out so that we could do this, do the, the other thing. And and then they'll, I think we're going to have Strobel at least that's going to say yes to the end. Well, we I just hope need so. one. We just need one. You only need, they one. need one. Right. I, well, I hope so because any of these four who hang this up and vote no deserve to have a conservative challenger the next time they're up in a primary who recognizes no, that they gonna should... They're going to struggle with that. They're going to change this, their vote. I think they're going to struggle with that because I think that, that the conservative voters really want conservative no. changes. No, they want stuff done. Yeah, they and, want and stuff this, done. And, and, it's starting to, and now it's starting to impact. This budget delay is starting yeah. to impact schools. on people because, right, there's, there's schools, there's not stuff that's open. I, I just... Look, and, and I, I agree. You look at these individual issues and you say, okay, well, I can kind of agree with that, but the, the budget process is like herding cats. It, it's already an embarrassment that it's two and a half months overdue. And um, I, I think know. that we're so going to have one. I, oh, yeah, absolutely. We're going to have somebody by the end of the day that's going to change their Susie, mind. Yeah, Susie I think Fox is, yes. Yep. Tracy Johnson. By the end of the weekend. Which could mean by the end of today. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think they're going to hammer it out. I right. think Fitz is, he's, he's very savvy, and he's, he right. does this the right way. And it's not going to, and, and Tracy, it's not going to go back to the assembly. It's going to pass as is. Right. But it's it right, because it, it can't go back. They'll right. figure out a way to appease the, the, some of the requirements. They're the, doing this for oh, political reasons, well, to show that they're, they're fighters. They're, going so, for, yeah. <laughs> they're holding out for conservative values, and at the end of the day, just, they're, they, they win twice. God they're save us fighters, but they're also going to collaborate. And I feel this way about the left, too, and I take no pleasure, criticizing these guys who I've, I've known, but it, it's just like, at some point in time, God save us from ideologues. You need to get stuff right. done. And I feel this way about the left, and I feel this way about Blame the right. Does, does this North happen West. when there are is all one party in charge? I mean, do, are we seeing this in D.C.? Are no. we seeing this in Madison? Well, you're seeing it in D.C., this, of course, because you know, you've got the dysfunctional group in D.C. Okay. as well. It was back with, with, with Grover Norquist saying no new taxes, and that's when this madness started. Is when basically you had an incoming group, and, and we could talk, let's let's have a whole show <laughs> devoted to this. Grover Norquist, point a finger at him. Okay, it is eleven forty-six. When we come back, we talk Slender Man and a lot of other stuff. It's the weekend review. I'm Jeff Wagner, joined by Susie Falk and Tracy Johnson. It's eleven forty-six. Stick around. It's 1149, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We're letting you experience Wisconsin's finest supper clubs at half price. This week, our featured supper club is Katarina's Restaurante in Milwaukee. Family-owned for 30 years, Katarina's features Italian recipes made fresh to order. Includes entrees from pasta and seafood, veal to steak. The desserts are outstanding. Hey, coming up in 10 minutes, today at noon, you can get a $50 certificate for only 25 bucks. We only have 50, so they're going to go quickly. Um, get yours today, 10 minutes, starting at noon. You go to WTMJ Supper club.com have your credit card ready we will take care of you all right um yeah it's the weekend review Susie falk and tracy johnson the slender man case involving Alyssa wire um that's going to be going to the jury this afternoon um she's entered a plea of, of guilty to the underlying charges but not guilty by reason of mental disease or defect Susie, what should happen here wow 
Um, you know, the, the teenage brain is a scary place. There are <laughs> books written about it. You know, I've had two teenage kids. I can't imagine being a or having a teen that's got a teenage brain and an, an illness. And I, I think this one, this girl who's turning into a woman is clearly ill, and I do think she should be taken care of. I don't think she should go to prison for 45 years. I do think... How about 10 years? Uh, no, but I would say I'd like to see her supervised for 10, 15, 20 years and, and let her, you know, kind of, of course, the become problem healthy. Of right, course, think. the problem is, under the law, I mean, if she's not guilty by reason of mental disease or defect, yeah, essentially they've got three years until she's 18 well, to, to I think, keep her and there. And that's where I have a problem. I don't like just the three years. I think maybe this this is such a severe case. And this shared delusion, I mean, this is a very rare thing that's happened. and, and it's I, convenient. It, it's, conven- well, it's convenient. I was saying that on the radio <laughs> the other day. Make when, that up? Well, when, when, when I was a federal prosecutor, first of all, you can find some expert yeah. to say anything. And my yeah. experience in this, without commenting specifically on these experts, you know, some of the some of the psychologists and psychiatrists that come into court, I swear to God, they're badder than the defendants yeah. are. Sure. Tracy Johnson, I, lock her up, man. She's she's she is a killer, she's and she I, I don't care. She did this. She knew what she was doing. If you look, listen to the account of what she was doing, she she stabbed somebody nineteen times because like, she's in insane. The, she's she was she's evil. She's evil. Oh, and if dear God. Her, she, why is she hmm? evil? Because she stabbed somebody she stabbed, multiple uh, times and left her for dead? And, and what causes that? That's insanity. That is a medical well, but, oh, so are you condition. Say, well, wait, no. Are you, saying no that anybody, wait, are you saying that anybody that stabs somebody is insane? I, I'm saying she's 12 years old. I'm just saying, I mean, uh, it's, but I mean, no, your, your, your evidence listen, was, okay, she stabbed her. That means she's insane. Old. Okay, I, so any 12-year-old that stabs somebody is insane? I'm just trying to put myself in, I try to put myself in a position if I were adjacent to the situation. And, and how would I feel? And the, how would I look at it? And, you know, I know that that's not the case. But I think if you look at what she did and you listen to how she did it, I mean, it wasn't like she was possessed or anything. She she went after this 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 classmate and she stabbed her 19 times yeah, why didn't and she'll do it call again. any witnesses why didn't the state call any no. experts not witnesses experts you know what, she, if she if she gets out in three years she's going to cause problems she will end up back in the system again and if she is probably not reformable okay the state what, also the said they do? could see the verdict going down either way based what, on the evidence what's the jury going to do what do you think they uh, I, not reason not guilty by reason of mental disease or defect what would yes, you guess n- Susie guilty. says yes i Tracy's. think they'll find her guilty huh Okay, we're split. I, I'm not going to break it. I don't know. I honestly, I, I, I don't know. I'm surprised. I think I'm surprised. They, I'm surprised they didn't have one expert that says this is BS. And why do you think that is? I don't know. Well, and um, I've been on a jury before. Just give us a theory. Well, the theory would be that they that this was a court appointed. These were court appointed experts who said that they buy into this shared delusion thing, and yeah, so but, but they the stopped. They knew down. that they were going to do that. So sure why wouldn't they have their own experts that would say, "Oh no, she's not crazy. She's absolutely sane." And well, this nobody is why. nobody's saying she's absolutely sane. The question and the question the question is. Does she suffer from a mental disease or defect which rendered her either incapable of appreciating what she was doing was wrong or not or, or not doing it in the first place? There is an expert. I think that's really. I think that's a fair question. All right, we got to take a quick break. Then we're back with our Right Stuff Awards. It's the Week in Review. Tracy Johnson, Susie Falk. I'm Jeff Wagner. It's 11:54. It's 11:57. Jeff Wagner, 6:20 WTMJ. It's our Right Stuff Awards. Susie Falk. 
Pete Sadirides. He's the owner of Pete's Fruit Market. And uh, Pete is just opening a second store location, yep, in the Bronzeville neighborhood. And he, Pete is an Im- immigrant from Greece, and so he knows what it takes to, to be successful. He's been successful, and he's helping to eradicate food deserts in Milwaukee. I salute him. Tracy Johnson. Nice. All right. My Right Stuff Award goes to... State Representative Jason Fields. Um, we had talked about him earlier, but he was one of the, well, the only Milwaukee area state Democrat uh, that voted for the Foxconn project. And his reasoning was this that he wanted to have the opportunity to be involved in a project that would help his constituents, the African American men and women who could possibly be employed through Foxconn. And so I salute him. That is an awesome, awesome stance to take. And, you know, it might be unpopular right now with some of his caucus, but good for him. I agree. He put his constituents ahead of party. Oh, what a shock. I agree with you. Uh, my winner at the Milwaukee Brewers, after Major League Baseball decided to move the series this week from Miami to Milwaukee, the, the Brewers decided, let's do this in a fan-friendly way. They put thousands of tens of thousands of seats on sale, but instead of selling them for what they normally go for, they're, they're selling them for 10 and 15 and $20. So people who would otherwise never be able to afford to sit in certain seats are going to get great spots. Go Brewers. Tracy, Susie, thanks so much. We'll see you next week.